are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary in Iowa. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. If only I can go faster, then maybe I can solve fill in the blank. If only I can be smarter. If only I can make better decisions. If only I can work at a higher capacity. If only I can produce more. Have you ever heard yourself uh, making those conditional statements to you, right? These if-then statements. If only I can and fill in kind of the what seems like a virtue, then we will solve, you know, fill in the blank to whatever problem is coming to mind in the moment. I find myself saying these things and developing these mindsets and even habits consistently. It's something I've had to turn from. And one of the things the Lord has been talking to me about is pace of life and speed of life and living in better rhythm. Today, we're going to talk about just that very thing. Joining me today is going to be Dr. Sophia Fasua. She's Associate Professor of Spiritual Formation here at Wesley Seminary. And we're going to be talking about the book, Addicted to Hurry, Spiritual Strategies for Slowing Down by Kirk Byron Jones. It's published by Judson Press. Grateful to the publisher for making a copy available and to Dr. Jones for uh, providing this uh, very helpful book to us. Dr. Fasua is going to talk from her own experience, which includes different kinds of cross-cultural experiences over time. She's going to talk to us about the wisdom that she's developed in the pastorate and in the working world in education and other contexts. You are going to hear a wise pastoral counselor speak graciously and winsomely to pastors and spiritual leaders whom she deeply loves. Thanks so much for tuning in. I think you're going to enjoy the podcast. So, Sophia, we are talking about Addicted to Hurry, Spiritual Strategies for Slowing Down. The author of the book is Kirk Byron Jones. It's published by Judson Press. And let me start by just asking you this question. Can people be addicted to hurry? I did not realize until I read the book that this is entirely possible. Hmm. I think Dr. Jones lays out such a clear case for how we get unwittingly sucked into uh, the busyness of, of the culture and all of those things around us. And before long, we're addicted in a way uh, that makes it difficult for us to slow down and stop. What were some of the, the things that, that clued you into? So you had this, this concept and, and maybe even a warning given to you in the, in the book. Uh, how did you see it lived out in real life? How did you see people being addicted to hurry? Well, um, I have been in the working world for probably about 45 years or so. And one thing that I've noticed is that people often define themselves by the volumes of work that they can complete, Hmm. how much they can do, how fast they can do it, and how productive they are. And they don't define themselves by other things like family connections with, with church or what have you. And we're talking about the working world here. Uh, we, we need to say something about ministers maybe later on in this, this conversation. But it, when people start defining themselves by how fast, how well, how, how uh, complete they can do a job and not by anything else, then we start to see some warning signs here. Um, often when I'm working with people uh, in counseling, you know, as a, as a pastor, when I was in the, in the pastoral ministry, working with people as a counselor, it was hard for many folks to separate themselves from their work. Like, who are you? I make widgets. No, no, no. Who are you? I make gadgets. 
so who are you and what what are you called to be? How is God working in your life? Those were some of the hardest questions that I could get parishioners to answer. They always wanted to tell me what they did yeah. and not who they were. So this addicted to hurry kind of strikes at the heart of that because it uh, one of the first chapters, which is a little startling, I assigned this to a group of students um, I'm thinking about the uh, about around 2012, 2013, 2014. I was using this with students in a, in a specific program, and the first chapter is the idolatry of speed. Now that will yes. get your attention if you're a Christian, yes. you know, because we want to have no other gods before God. And so, what is this i this this uh, uh, notion that that speed itself can be an idol? And I, I thought about the world of work and how I'd had conversations with parishioners or how I'd been involved in work and how everyone wanted to identify themselves by how well, how fast, how productive I am. And it does become an idolatry because it becomes a defining moment for many people. You said uh, you would ask people their identity and the only category they had, the only angle they had at it but was by what they did. I, I'm thinking right. about some of the the – uh, strengths finder material uh, that we've come across. And one of the phrases that sticks out to me is they're, they're people who are producers, right? It's kind of like they see their, yes, yes. their their day starts at zero and then they want to see how much can I get done today. And and in a way, that's a, that's a way of being wired. I think there can be uh, goodness in that. But whenever you see speed as the idol, right? The more I can get done and you start to see how that can rob the identity. And so the only way that people have to think of themselves as, as one is as one who produces. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in a context and we had some really deep discussion about people uh, just asking about what do we do for fun, right? What are some things we do mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. because we get to, right? What are some things you do just because you get to, because it's fun? And it was amazing. These very talented, very good producers, right? Really good leaders. And oh, yes. they would say one of two things so commonly. One, they would say, I don't really do anything for fun, number one. Or, mm-hmm. they, would, or they would say, I used to do fill in the blank, but I can't remember the last time I did it. And when, right. I th- when I think about this in terms of idolatry, right, at first, the idol of speed is what allowed them to feel powerful, that they could do lots. If I go fast, I can produce lots. But over time, the idol takes away that identity of, I don't know what I do for fun, or I can't remember the last time I just did something for right. the, the idol had taken right. my identity. And, and that, this conversation really helps me to see the connection between uh, addiction to hurry and the idol of speed. And, and then, Dr. Perry, you said something about what they do that makes them feel powerful. Uh, I also found, especially in women, what they did that made them feel worthwhile. Wow. Um, and and sometimes, you know, people are apologetic for even being in the room. But if I do these things, then you'll want me there because I do these things for you. You know, so it, it gets to be a very sticky ball of wax when you start thinking about it. But uh, when people def- uh, uh, not only wrap up their ability to produce as showing how powerful and important they are, but really I am worth something after all because I can do these things. Then you start really feeling the danger of the situation because we are worth something to God whether we do a thing or not. You know, well, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, looking at this, is, it, it starts to feel like a little danger sign here. Well, it's, it's gathering evidence of me being a person. Right, that that I, it's kind of like I start yes. without an identity, and and my entire life is to craft one and to build one, rather than 
understanding our identity, being rooted in our relationships, being rooted in uh, our communities, and of course, that being connected with our being rooted in God, who's the right. foundational being of, of all of this, right? The, the inner community of three persons in one being of all of this, and out of that relationship right. is where we come. And instead, you can develop a life that's just gathering evidence that, oh, look at me, I am worthwhile. I, I am here. I am a person. Uh, I have importance. I have skills. And, you know, we, we try to convince ourselves and of that. And here is my proof. Yes, yes exactly right. Uh, so Dr. Jones has done a really nice job of, of laying out some of these things for, he has a chapter called Why We Run or See Why We Run. Yes, uh, yes. Let me, let me just name some of the reasons he gives and then invite you to comment on them. And, and it's, it's interesting. There's, there's a there's good and bad to each one of these, right? So it's, it's not like there it's, is. it's not like it's just negative. Here's what he says. He says, we run out of enthusiasm. We run to get things done. We run because the clock is running. We run because there's so much to do. We run to acquire prized possessions. We run to catch up. <laughs> we run for success. We run to mm-hmm. people. We run to be first. And I love this one. We run for the rush. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I've seen organizations get addicted to hurry themselves and, and they get addicted to the adrenaline rush that comes whenever they exactly. kind of leave themselves with these little margins, but man, boy, they, they can do so much in those little margins and they start to feel invincible, right? There's a sense. Talk to us about some of those reasons, uh, why we run, which one of those do you see as, as really prevalent, maybe in the pastorate or maybe in people who are, are highly committed, uh, lay leaders in our churches. Which one of those should be most should we be most mindful of? Well, I, I I'm not sure if I can even single out one or, or the other of these, but I'm thinking that I really want to talk about that running for the rush hmm. because um, I have seen you know I've been around for a little while. I'm almost I'm almost retired here, and I've been in ministry for probably nearly 40 years now, and I've seen over the years that it became more virtuous to be the busy church. Wow. And yeah, and, and I'm, I'm thinking that's got something to do with the rush here, as, as you laid out the reasons that, that Dr. Frank, uh, Dr. Uh, Kirk Byron Jones lays out in his book, uh, the running for the rush, look at how much we do, look at how productive we are, look at what endurance we have, look at, it, I heard the phrase, how big is your battery once, and I, I couldn't remember um, where I heard it, but when I heard it, I cringed, because if we are... Um, setting ourselves up for capacity, capacity to get things done. We're back in that idolatry again, the capacity to get things done and not look at my depth, not look at my, but look at how much I can do that. I think that's got, it's tied in with the rush business and it's a slippery slope because the world applauds us for being productive, for turning out a lot, for making lots of offerings in our churches and all of that. And they can't, um, wage or gauge what the toll is on us as either a congregation, as a ministry team, or as even individual parishioners who are just trying to keep up with all the activities. So the rush part is the scariest part, I think, for me. I had a wise mentor in ministry. His name was uh, Pastor Pete. Uh, I was an intern at his church, and he said something to me really that I found really insightful. Um, I've struggled against it for the next 15 years or whatever in ministry since I had it said to me. Uh, but this is what he said. He said, Aaron, it's a, it's a great temptation of mine to take my calendar 
and compare it to other people in my church to validate mm-hmm. the, the pastorate, right? To show to them, I'm just as busy as you. In fact, I probably get more done in less time because I have to, right? And to, to not just validate himself, but to validate the pastorate. And then he said to me this, he said, Aaron, I realized the truth is that when other people look at my schedule, they should be offended because I've got it structured in a rhythm that's more God honoring. And he didn't mean by like building in spiritual disciplines kind of things. It just meant like, no, 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 no. Living as a limited being. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Living as a limited being, right? That, that this, this is a much more appropriate pace of life as a human being and not pretending to be something else. And the phrase he said that they should look at my schedule and be offended. I thought that's, that is true, right? That is an element of, of whenever we have somebody present a different reality to us, even gently in a way that undermines things that we've assumed to be true or things that we've assumed to be important, there is a kind of offense in that. And he wasn't trying to be offensive. He was just saying that's no. part of his role as a spiritual caregiver to these people is to set a different kind of reality with different expectations. And to understand that we are not machines. Yeah. We are people created to relate to God and one another in, in godly and wholesome ways. And we can't do it if, we all, if we're always busy or unavailable or on a timetable or a schedule or, you know, the other things that go along with that. Um, I'm, I'm, what a wise pastor, first of all, that you had there. And I'm really uh, chewing on the words that you've just said there because our schedule should say something about us. I'm thinking back to my Bible college days, which were back in the early 80s. And I went to a holiness kind of a Bible college and, of course, did a lot of holiness reading. And the first thing that struck me about the people that we, you know, look back on in, in some of the early holiness movement uh, are, are, the, are, are the facts that they schedule their lives around uh, relational issues and not around productivity. In fact, their lives almost felt plodding and slow to me because we were starting in the 80s to get into that rush, rush thing, you know. Mm. And as I looked at how much time they took in the morning to to uh, help their family settle in or to uh, spend their devotional time or to look at the birds or whatever it might be as they were describing their days, I'm thinking, you're not getting anything done here. <laughs> and I can remember... <laughs> And yet, those are the people who found, uh, uh, who started many of the foundations for what we practice in, if, if we are holiness evangelical type folk, you know, that yeah. this, this holiness of heart and life, this intentionality about relating well to God and to one another and to the stranger, you know, all of that uh, has to be built into uh, a different kind of pace. I'm also thinking back in my younger years, I lived for four years in Europe, and that's another story all to itself. And then as a missionary, I lived for four years in Africa. And the first thing I noticed in both places was that nobody else was in the hurry that we Americans are. And I'm not slamming Americans, but uh, North America has this rush, rush built into it. And I know that there's this exceptionalism that goes with all of the culture and all that. But I remember uh, noting how in Europe, the schools closed for two hours at lunchtime so that children could go home and have the main meal of the day, which was in the middle of the day at this culture, with their families, and then come back to school and go to school till about four, four or five in the evening, which was a little later than our school system. How in other places, they, they closed their shops in the midday, 
And I, I noticed the same kind of thing in Africa. Uh, it, we were in Ghana, West Africa. And if you went to visit someone because you needed to ask them something, it was uh, considered very rude and offensive to walk to the door, knock on the door, and then just start asking for things. The first thing you were to do was to take water with them, to sit down, to relax from the heat because we were on the equator, you know, or just about on the equator. And then maybe after 30, 45 minutes or so, the host, the person you've gone to see would say, well, what's your mission today? <laughs> but the first thing was let's sit down and just be with one another. Yeah. And so you'd pass pleasant pleasantries. There might be food involved. There was usually cool water involved. But the, the first thing that we do together is to just figure out how to be with one another for a few minutes. And then after that, you can talk about your business. And so we were accused as, as Americans and, and North Americans and folks, Westerners coming in, you know, doing ministry of always uh, being so task oriented and not people oriented. And I had to really start thinking about that. So, yeah, we're, we're in a hurry here. Well, in the name of not being in a hurry, we're going to take a little break and hear from uh, some of the, uh, a word from one of our sponsors here at the Wesley Seminary Podcast. The Wesley Seminary Podcast is brought to you by Wesley Seminary. Hi, my name is Tenley Horner and I am Wesley. Hi, I'm David Rosenthal and I am Wesley. Hi, I'm Yvette McCracken Nursery and I am Wesley. Thanks for listening. We hope that you will become part of the Wesley Seminary too. Visit us online at wesleyseminary.com. Joining us uh, again today is Dr. Sophia Fasua. Dr. Fasua is one of our faculty members here at Wesley Seminary, and she's uh, been uh, doing so much work on the curriculum of spiritual formation in the seminary. And one of the books in our curriculum is what we're talking about today, Addicted to Hurry, Spiritual Strategies for Slowing Down by Kirk Byron Jones. Uh, I want to read just a little bit from one of the poems that Dr. Jones has put in this book that I found really insightful because what he says is that whenever we are running, right, and we get addicted to this running and this and this pace, addicted uh -huh. to speed, he says that we're actually running away from God. And the first two lines of this poem, or the first few lines of this poem, capture it so well. It, it, this is the poem Flickering Mind, Flickering Mind by Denise Levertov, and they go like this. Lord, not you, it's I who am absent. At first, belief was a joy I kept in secret, stealing alone into sacred places, a quick glance and away and back circling. I have long since uttered your name, but now I elude your presence. I stop to think about you and my mind at once, like a minnow darts away, darts into the shadows, into gleams that fret, unceasing over the rivers purling and passing. Not for one second will myself hold still, but wanders anywhere, everywhere it can turn. Not you, it is I who am absent. And the poem goes on from there, but that, that phrase really haunts Ooh, Wow, me. it is haunting. How many times have haunting. I- It is haunting. How many times have I reached out to God and I, and I want to say, God, where at, where are you? Right? Like, like awake, you know, come to my aid, help me, you know, be with me. Mm -hmm. And, and this poem comes back and it's just like a mirror right in my face. And I'm like the times that I have, you know, set aside for God to show up. And it's like, it's my mind that's darting away. You know, it's my mind that's, that's 
uh, eluding God's presence because I haven't, I haven't slowed at a pace. I haven't gone at a pace that I can be attentive and aware of him being close and him being present. It's me who's absent. Wow. What, what a wonderful poetic reminder of the reality of who moved. You know, it wasn't God that moved, it was us. And as you were reading that poem, I, I went back to the, the Genesis account where uh, it, was, it was the custom uh, for God and Adam to walk and talk together in the cool of the day. And then one day Adam was missing. Yeah. 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 Adam, where are you? Yeah. You know, so it's just the ache of all of that that you feel when you're hearing this poem. And when you think about the ways that we actually do run away from God, I, I, you know, I'm thinking back to pastoral ministry and I know many of our, our listeners here are probably in pastoral ministry of some kind. And I think about people who are in grief and the first thing they say is, but I'm going to keep busy. Yeah. So I don't think about it. Yeah. What's coming to mind is busyness as an aesthetic, right? It's, it's, uh-huh. it, it relieves our pain. Um, but it's not, if, if the pain, if, if hurry is an idol, then the effect of that idol is not one that will be long lasting. It will, it might no. work for a season but it's going mm-hmm. to wear out and we're going to do more and more and more to get less and less and less of the impact of the idol. So we go faster and faster and faster and we get less and less and less relief. Get less and less and less from the, from the transaction, which means we have to go faster and faster each time. Um, the, the other piece of that is when we are running from ourselves, um, there's something we know that's not right, some unconfessed sin in our lives, some things that we need to be doing that God has said for us to do specifically, but we've not done them for whatever the reason. This busyness oftentimes becomes um, the excuse for not dealing with the soul work that we need to be doing. Yeah. Sophia, may I just test something out on you. I want, I want to test an idea out on you and I haven't tried it out before, but I've been, I've been reflecting on it uh, for a little while now in the garden. It's in Genesis two. It said that God mm-hmm. places the man in the garden to work it and take care of it. Those were the word work. It is the Hebrew word uh, abad mm-hmm. and the, the word take care of it or dress it is the word shamar. And, and uh, biblical theologian GK Beale says that, points out that those two words in conjunction together uh, have a priestly connotation, that to work it and care for it is the work of the priests in the tabernacle and later, mm, okay. and later in the temple. So there's this, there's this priestly language. And this is, this is what I just recently saw. In the account of Cain and Abel, um, after Cain has killed Abel, the Lord comes to him and he says, where's your brother? I don't know, Cain replies. He said, am I my brother's keeper or my brother's shamar? Okay. So it's the, right. same, it's the same word of to, to take care of it. Or is, sorry, it's this, uh, yes, yeah, the same word to take care of it. And then as that passage unfolds, the Lord is saying to him, what have you done? Listen, your brother, brother's blood cries out from the ground. And just a verse later, uh, God says to Cain, he says, when you work the ground or abad, when you abad the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. So we have these two words, shamar and abad, close together. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's this, it's this twisted view of the priestly work that 
the the human human beings are supposed to be these priests in creation but whenever oh. whenever this these relationships get twisted up um Cain's priestly work is twisted and he in effect sacrifices Abel right in this kind of uh right. horrific act of act of sacrifice this horrific priestly act he's not actually tending and caring he's doing the exact opposite of it and i'm thinking about even forms of of spiritual abuse and it's not by the pastor who intends to but whenever we are not doing the proper pace of life and not living within our limits and we can end up doing spiritual spiritually abusive things we can do uh we can practice priestliness in an ungodly kind of way even without realizing it this is a really a profound insight because the the the, you know, the the guarding it, intending it, and all of that, uh, working it, intending it, was a, 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 a coaxing things out of the ground instead of wrestling things out of the ground. Mm. And I, I have been under the leadership of, of pastors or other uh, leaders, you know, sometimes it's supervisors or whatever it is, who who coached or coaxed the best. They loved the best out of you. And then I've been out of others who uh, badgered the best out of you. Wow. And so there is a spiritual abusiveness that comes in how we work and tend to uh, those things that are entrusted to us, not just the ground, but the people God entrusts to us. And, 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 and we've seen the abusiveness of, of, um, of, of the institution uh, at its ugliest forms when we pretty much beat the members into into submission, into doing the kinds of things that were in our heads and maybe not even uh, part of a marching order that we got from God. So yeah, there's, there's something there. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I saw Adam and Eve as coaxing things from the ground. And then the toil that came in is a resting of things from the ground, which is a whole different kind of idea. Hmm. Joining us today is Dr. Sophia Fasua. We've been discussing the book, Addicted to Hurry, Spiritual Strategies for Slowing Down. It's by Kirk Byron Jones, published by Judson Press. You can take a look at this for this book on judsonpress.com. Uh, Sophia, I'd love to give you the last word, and, and I want to use it as an opportunity for you you to share some of your pastoral wisdom. Uh, I consider you very much a pastor, one of the pastors of our faculty here at Wesley Seminary. Uh, you shepherd us, you, you slow us, you speak prophetically and cautiously, but also encouragingly to us, right? All this wound, uh, bound together in uh, a lifetime of, of reflecting and praying and praising and leading, which I so appreciate. And I'd love for you just to have a, a pastoral moment to share some wisdom with our listeners if there was one or two things around this subject that you would love for them to hear what would they be oh my goodness um there was a quote that i pulled as we were preparing for this particular interview and uh as 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 dr jones was talking about uh finding a new pace of life he, he talks about a reality called entrainment and where he, he says uh, in, in, in the book that if two out of sync pendulum clocks are placed next to one another in a short amount of time, they come into sync with each other. And we do the same thing with the institutions and the people and the relationships around us. And I thought of Romans uh, that be not conformed to this world and one of the, the translations it says don't let the world squeeze you into its mold yes 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and the renewing of our mind comes through the word in many other ways, but um, to avoid the tendency to be squeezed in to fit in. Mm. It happens. It happens in high school, and it happens in church. You know, it happens in both mm-hmm. places. Uh, and to 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 pretty much offend people with our calendar, as your pastor, uh, uh, you know, advised you, to not be conformed to this world, to the things around us, but to become the uh, thermostat rather than the thermometer. Yeah. And I think this Addicted to Hurry book is really getting at the heart of all of that, to be who God has made you to be and not be what everybody else says you ought to be because you belong to God. And there's, there's a lot of applications that we could make here. But to put the brakes on, to stop, to think, to pray, and to allow God to shape us and to shape our, our days and our times. Even as, as simple as getting up in the morning and say, Lord, what will we be doing today? <laughs> The, the Wesley Seminary podcast is about introducing topics and resources for fruitful ministry and fruit grows at uh, a pace that the farmers cannot control. We can influence it maybe, but we cannot control it. And uh, this this is encouraging to me because I hope that some of this reflection on setting good pace and good rhythm leads to fruitful ministry. It's not under the control of the person listening in, but it is one they can influence. And I think influence by being joyful as we live within our limits and accept the limits given to us as gracious gifts, accept the conditions in which we lead, the people that we lead, the institutions that we lead, the families that have been given to us, the friends that we enjoy, to accept all of that as the gifts of a God who loves us and wants us to enjoy those things. So uh, Dr. Fasua, thank you so much for sharing some of your own wisdom with us today. And thank you, Dr. Perry. I've had a good time. This has been a good conversation. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to making, thank you for making this conversation possible. Uh, I think I would talk to some of my friends, uh, among whom I count Sophia. Uh, but knowing that people might be listening in is a wonderful grace that helps me to slow down and have some conversations like this. So thank you for making, uh, contributing to making this conversation possible. We hope that you'll check out some of the other episodes available from the Wesley Seminary podcast. Thanks so much for to uh, Cam Davis for his production work. Ask you listeners to like and subscribe us on whatever platform you're accessing the podcast to help us continue to get the word out. And thanks to our sponsors who have made today possible. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.